When I am dead, wrap the mantle of the red, the black and the green around me. For in the new life, I shall rise up with God's first and blessing. To lead the millions of the heights and the triumph that you will know. Look for me in a world when I'm a storm. Look for me all around you. For with God's grace, I shall come back with countless millions of black men and women who have died in America, those who have died in the West Indies, and those who have died in Africa to aid you in the fight for liberty, freedom, and life. Now, that is the voice of a man whose name might not mean a whole lot to you. His name was Marcus Garvey. Um, his politics might not mean much to you either, but he was effectively the father of black nationalism. In fact, he was even known by some as the Black Moses. He was the man who inspired the likes of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. In fact, the latter referred to him as the first man to give millions of Negroes a sense of dignity and destiny. And while his name might not be known to very many Irish people, Irish politics was well known to him because he named his HQ Liberty Hall in honour of the Dublin version and he even took sides, would you believe, (laughs) in the Anglo-Irish Treaty of 1921. And if that isn't the prelude for a Hidden Histories piece with Donald (laughs) Fallon, then I don't know what is. Uh, Donald, good afternoon. How are you? Uh, Great and good to see you here and congratulations on recent Thank you very much. I hope uh, all are still well at home uh, in my absence. Um, As you can probably tell from from the accent there, Marcus Garvey, although being associated with the US, is not from the US. He's from Jamaica. What a powerful uh, piece of of oratory that is. Uh, Marcus Garvey, born in Jamaica, is a political storm in the United States uh, in the early 20th century. And what he advocates, what he essentially stands for is what he calls pan-Africanism and the idea of building uh, a black nation which he Mm. felt could become a world power. So, you know, back to Africa, that was his slogan. And he had a certain confidence about himself, actually. Marcus Garvey described himself as the provisional president of Africa, which I think may have actually been a... a, a Possibly a nod to something Influenced by the idea of the provisional government in Ireland. But the central influence of one of his... One of uh, of the central influences of his political life was Ireland, which, of course, is a very white nation, historically speaking. And what occurred here in the early 20th century, I think, really shaped the worldview of this man. Uh, now, as we could, we heard a little bit of it about 30 seconds or so just there in the introduction. He was uh, a first-rate speaker and, yeah. and took New York by storm. Uh, absolutely. I mean, he's born in Jamaica in 1887, but by 1914, he's this great political voice uh, with the Universal Negro Improvement Association, the UNIA, which is this kind of political vehicle that he establishes for, 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 for the cause of black nationalism. And he takes his case to the streets of the United States, but Harlem uh, in New York. York City becomes the centre of his operations. Mm. And New York was a was an ethnic melting pot. I mean, the Germans, the Polish, the Irish. Yeah. But, you know, while there were plenty of Irish people in the mix, you wouldn't find them in Harlem. Harlem was black New York City. Sure. And he, you know, attracts the attention of the black community there with his flair and his persona. And the way he appears, I mean, he dresses in kind of ceremonial clothes. He looks almost regal and describes himself, as we said, as the provisional president of Africa. And the ideology at the centre of it is this slogan, back to Africa. So what that means is you get the white colonists off the continent of Africa, you move black people there. And he believes that, you know, when you do this, what you do is you create a great world power. So you can see how he gains the nickname the Black Moses or the Negro Moses because of that. And essentially then, of course, if he's talking about the idea of getting rid of the whites from Africa and then reclaiming it for the black peoples who are native to the continent, eventually then his politics are all about segregation. Absolutely. I mean, there's big problems with the politics of Garvey. And when you do this, when you advocate this kind of segregation, you end up with very peculiar political bedfellows. On one occasion, Marcus Garvey actually meets senior figures from the KKK who are who are also quite keen on the idea of black people leaving the oh, United okay, States right, of America. Right, they don't care where they go once yeah. they go somewhere. Okay. You know, they're not they're not particularly uh, keen on the idea of a great black nation in the world. Right. Well, they've got very different political reasoning for it. But you know, Garvey has enemies 
even among many people in the civil rights movement who feel that the back to Africa idea uh, yeah, is understandably is wrong. so, yeah. But you couldn't just dismiss Garvey or his followers because there was a lot of them. You know, and on one occasion, like this black nationalist conference in Madison Square Gardens, it's attended by some twenty five thousand people, yeah. and Garvey pinpoints Liberia as the birthplace of where this new nation uh, will emerge. Okay, but funnily enough, um, Ireland creeps in as an influence. So how exactly does a guy who uh, is identifying Liberia as the birthplace of a new black African nation, mm. how suddenly does 1916 Ireland uh, come onto his agenda? Because this is the time, this is the, the, the melting pot, if you will. And, and New York City, J. Edgar Hoover of the FBI says that New York City is a law enforcement nightmare. And he's right, because look who's, who's living in it. Black nationalists, Italian anarchists, Irish-American Fenian radicals, mm. Indian separatists. You have you know the industrial workers of the world, the Wobblies as they were known. All of these people are dangerous as far as the state's concerned and they're all dangerous in yeah. different ways. Before you're even and talking about the mafia, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. This, this is just the political dissidents, never mind, you know, criminal underbelly. Mm. And these ha- all have the ability, I suppose, to, to interact with one another. Irish America, Clan the Gale, the Fenians in New York are actually quite conservative and they're more cautious than most people. They'll make common ground with the likes of the Indian separatists but they won't go near people like Marcus Garvey but when 1916 when the rising breaks out in the streets of Dublin Garvey takes it to heart and you couldn't ignore it I mean for 14 days in a row Was it really? Was it that that hard to avoid on the other side of the world? The front page of the New York Times for 14 days in a row was rebellion on the streets of Dublin and you know, people right across the globe. Wow. Lenin, who's in exile at the time, yeah. talks about the rising and says, you know, that the 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 what as he sees it, a blow in Ireland is worth several in Africa or Asia, and he thinks World War One is going to come off the rails, you know, as a result of this insurrection in Ireland. So you know, people right across the world, from Lenin to Garvey, are kind of watching what happens in Ireland uh, with considerable interest. And there's a there's a, an irony in this. The name Garvey, yeah. you know, it may be Irish, but the only thing Irish about Marcus Garvey, as he himself said, is that an Irish slave master gave my forebear the name. but the contemporary Irish community influenced him and what he likes about the Irish is the enormous role of the diaspora in Irish politics okay, yeah. so he sees the Irish political machine as a global political machine mm. it's as powerful in fact it's more powerful in Boston than it is in Ballina. you know it's a global <laughs> movement for Irish yeah. independence that's something he wants to emulate and he takes inspiration from the way they organise the Fenians in America they've got a public face but they're also a secret revolutionary society so he reckons you know, the, the Irish have a well-oiled political yeah. machine it's funny how only within the last half hour on the show we've been talking about how Ireland is something of a, a standard bearer when it comes to citizens assembly is a citizens assembly of an entirely different ilk Absolutely. that Ireland was, was setting a, a world leadership role in um, you mentioned J. Edgar Hoover the FBI were sitting up and they were paying pretty close attention to what Garvey was saying and they were very worried when he was talking about Ireland because now these two great threats were kind of coming into line with one okay. another and J. Edgar Hoover like made it his business when he came into the job to get Jim Larkin imprisoned in America he said something like Jim Larkin was the most dangerous man in Ireland and he's now the most dangerous man in America so kind of any intersection of black nationalism and Irish radicalism could be very very dangerous so you know imagine how they felt at the desks in the FBI Hoover's men when Garvey says something like quote the time has come for the Negro race to offer up its martyrs on the altar of liberty as the Irish have given us a long list from Robert Emmett to Roger Casement so he's very publicly flirting uh, with Irish separatism and Irish nationalism Uh, tell us about his HQ in Harlem and the (laughs) distinctly Dublin name that he gave to it it's it's, it's amazing he calls it Liberty Hall in a kind of direct tribute uh, to what Larkin and Connolly had done in Dublin and it still still exists today Mm. Liberty Hall in Harlem is still there uh, and it's very different from the 16 story uh, I would say skyscraper not quite a skyscraper but the 
16 storey building we know uh, by the River Liffey and he gets more and more enthusiastic for Ireland I mean when Terence McSweeney the Lord Mayor of Cork uh, goes on hunger strike Garvey telegrams the British Prime Minister <laughs> but then he, he, he even starts pulling New York dock workers black dock workers mm. who sympathise with him Garvey goes down and tells them you know don't unload British ships, boycott British ships as the Irish lads are doing in sympathy with the cause of Ireland. So Garvey is really proactively taking yeah. stands, sometimes unpopular in, in the black community in New York where tensions with the Irish community have existed. Remember, what did the Irish do in New York City? Many of them went into law enforcement. So mm. there was little love in parts of Harlem for, the, for, for, yeah. for some sections of Irish America. But Garvey tries to build these, these bridges and these links. This, this is the most bizarre political synergy between these two causes that are on the face of them have absolutely nothing in common. Yeah. Um, De Valera, as as we know, eventually goes to America trying to drum up support for the newly declared republic and Garvey is so impressed that he go, tries to go to meet him. And he tries to share a platform with him and he wants to have a meeting uh, where the poster will say provisional president of Africa and provisional president of the <laughs> Irish Republic yeah. side by side. De Valera's tour of America is extraordinary. I mean, he speaks in Fenway Park, Madison Square Gardens, the Liberty Bell, the Washington Memorial. De Valera mm. travels the length and breadth of the country mm. and he comes back with six and a half million dollars in his pocket, which is extraordinary. Mm. And we think of De Valera as someone who embodies a conservative of, era of Irish politics yeah. but in America I mean he, he goes everywhere he speaks before one Native American tribe and he tells them I speak to you in Gaelic because I want to show you that though I am white I am not of the English race we like you are a people who have suffered and I feel for you with a sympathy that comes only from one who can understand as we Irishmen can right. so Garvey watches De Valera as he makes his way yeah. across the United States of America and I think he wants to be funny as this yeah, sounds yeah. to us today he wants to be the black Eamon De Valera uh, which is uh, which is a sentence that no one else has ever said, I'm sure, in the history yeah. of this, this station before. That is unreal. Uh, there is one significant point, though, in which, of course, he diverges from Eamon de Valera, which uh, is the position on the Treaty the of 1921. Treaty. And Michael Collins would describe the treaty as not freedom, but the freedom to, to achieve, achieve freedom. freedom. And Garvey believed that as well. And, you know, Garvey felt, look, this is a stepping stone towards an eventual Irish yeah. Republic. So he supports, the, as he sees it, the pragmatists yeah. in Ireland, uh, which is the pro-treaty side. So for someone that's so synonymous with a very hard line yeah politics, the idea of this back to Africa black nation to say actually the treaty is the best that yeah, the Irish can achieve. It's always funny to see some, someone who is so radical and has such uh, big visions for what they want to achieve to, to really embrace that kind of incremental gains and just say just bank what you have take and it. then go back and take it. Take and it, it's the, the best It's the best offer yeah, on the table. So yeah, uh, he maintains a great interest in De Valera and he follows De Valera when he becomes Taoiseach in the 1930s. Yeah. But certainly in 22 he thinks that it's Collins and De Valera who makes the right decision. Uh, probably, not all that, uh, probably not all that surprising given that um, what he was espousing was basically to have the black people leave the United States mm. and a lot of people would like the US to be a republic of equals where black people can feel at home Absolutely. so not, not surprising then that, that Garvey's legacy would be contested but very still, still so. important too very much so I mean his, 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 his legacy is very contested within the civil rights movement in particular and as you say the idea that the, the United States is home to all who live in her is a central uh, is a central pillar mm. of the civil rights movement in more recent times but he's a central inspiration to Malcolm X at one period uh, in time and if you go to Harlem today you still see murals of, 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 of this figure and you still see the flag get Garvey created is flown the Pan-African flag black, red and green and many people say that the green and that Pan-African flag that's been on the streets in recent years yeah, in America with yeah. the, the Black Lives Matters movement the, the green in the flag is often said to represent the natural wealth of Africa but a century ago interestingly many of Garvey's 
his own supporters and the newspapers around him suggested that the green and that flag was actually a nod uh, to Ireland. Now, the 17th of August, which is coming up this yeah. week, is the birthday uh, of Marcus Garvey. And I think history remembers him as a great but a very divisive character, to yeah. say the least. Uh, an unbelievable story uh, told magnificently as ever uh, by Donald Fallon. Donald, thank you very much. Donald Fallon is a historian and he's the author of the Come Here To Me blogs and books, uh, volumes one and two of which are available in all good bookshops now.